I wanted to start by going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and read the scripture to you. And just real quickly list again these agents of our sanctification because he didn't leave us by ourselves. He actually gave us supernatural agents to lend towards our sanctification, becoming like the Lord. Amen. Being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, from faith to faith, from victory to victory. He is making us like He is. Aren't you glad for that? And I'm glad you're not what you used to be. Sanctification is not just instantaneous at the new birth, it's instantaneous and progressive. It starts at the new birth, and nobody who has not experienced the new birth cannot be sanctified. It's impossible to be sanctified until you're born again. That explains why a lot of religious people still have a lot of garbage in and through their lives. They cannot possibly be sanctified if they're not born again. Now, if you're born again, that full sanctification doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. So say it with me. I'm making progress. And some of y'all that are married to your spouse know they're making progress. Amen. Glory to God. Enough said, Pastor. <laughs> Finally then, brothers and sisters, we request and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel even more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For it is His will, it is will of God, your sanctification. He goes on to apply it and he says, That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles do who do not know God. In other words, those who don't know God act one way. Yes. Those that do know God, what? Act a different way. And I'm not going to read the, the, the rest of this, but understand this. is For God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification. Say this with me. God has called me to sanctification, not impurity. Say it one more time. God has called me to sanctification, not impurity. Now let me give you some good news here. God never calls us to anything without giving us the power to do it. So if you're called to sanctification, He plans on giving you the ability, the power, the tools you need to actually get across that line and be sanctified. And how many know when He returns, you and I are going to get there? In the meantime, we should be progressing in this. And notice also the language that you excel even more. He just doesn't want you to stay stuck at a certain level or in a certain frame of mind accepting certain things when God is trying to clean all of us up, but that you excel in your sanctification. We're taught in the Bible to excel in our giving, but we're also taught to excel in our sanctification, which means we should be making progress. Now write these down if you haven't heard these messages. These are all online, all downloadable. They're also available on iTunes and Apple and Spotify, everything. They're all free, and you should go back sometime and listen to these messages on sanctification. We first talked about how the Father Himself is an agent of our sanctification. How is that possible? Because we know that the love of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The love of God itself is a sanctifying force. As we believe this and receive it, it changes us. How many have been changed by the love of God? How many are glad He hasn't given up on you? He's never going to give up on you. He already sees where you're headed, what you're to become, and His love is engaged in your life and in my life. God Himself, the Bible says, the God of peace sanctify you through and through. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will what? He will do it. We've often quoted that scripture about other promises in the Bible, and that's fine, but it actually pertains to your sanctification. He is faithful and He will what? He will do it. Say it, body, soul, and spirit. 
you're going to be kept until the coming of his son. That is, in a nutshell, is the full intent and the heart and the goal of the Father that you make it all the way. Amen. Paul said uh, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God to Timothy that there will be a great falling away in the last times. People will be what? Moved away by seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. But the will of the Father is that you be sanctified. In other words, not that you go back, that you, you just keep going forward in God. Amen? You don't go back to what you used to be, but you keep moving forward to what God has called you to be. We know also that the blood is a sanctifying force. Say it with me, the blood. Like blood doesn't just cleanse you, watch this, from sins you've committed. And aren't you glad that the blood cleanses you through and through? Yes. That's pretty weak. Let me try that again. How many of the blood cleanses you through and through? Amen. It just doesn't cleanse you afterwards. It gives you power to prevent the sin in the first place. Amen. I look at somebody and go, <laughs> because too often we've seen these things as what? After the fact benefits of ours. But the blood will, in fact, give you the power to do what? To resist and prevent that sin. Amen. When it's rightly applied in your life. We know number three, the Word of God sanctifies. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by your Word. Your Word is what? Truth. Your Word is truth. Now let me just correct some thinking out there in the body of Christ. There's no such thing as somebody else's truth. No. There's no such thing as contradictory truth. No. There is what? The truth and everything else is less than a truth. I right, hear what I'm saying to you? Now, somebody may say, well, if, if I believe that God is a healer, how many believe that is truth? Yes. Yes. All the way through the Gospels. No exceptions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus turned anyone away. Not one exception. So doctrinally, from the Word of God standpoint, it is God's will to what? Heal. To heal. But then you and I face people that have faced things in our family, physically, they've gone down paths of sickness and disease. And you and I say, well, that must be a truth as well. No, that is a fact. They're going through something. But the truth is by his stripes, he were healed. Some of that may be depressed. That is a fact. But they can be delivered. That is the truth. Amen. They may have no resources, can't pay their bills. That may be a fact. But my God shall supply all my needs is the truth. Yes. It's the truth that sanctifies, not our playing around with facts religiously. Amen. Amen. Say with me, it's the truth. And what do I have to do if I want to be sanctified by the truth? i got to know what it is. They shall know the truth, and the truth shall set them free. I have to know what? The truth. So I have to separate myself from all these facts out there. And we are filled not just with worldly facts, we're filled with churchy facts. Religious facts. All sound fine and dandy, but they don't produce the life that God has for you and for me. It is the Word, the unadulterated Word, the uncompromised Word that sanctifies us. Well, how can I do that? All you have to do is just spend time in it. Yes. We've learned in this church, and we know from first-hand experience, that if you stay in the Word long enough, it will separate you from things. Just the discipline of staying in and honoring the Word will separate you from things you have no business being a part of. Everybody say, thank God for the Father and the blood and the Word. But how do you know the Spirit also sanctifies us? Do you believe that today? In fact, I've taught you that the Holy Spirit is a sin specialist. Does He know if you're about to? Do you believe that today? Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now you and I, 
are very much acquainted with the voice of the Holy Spirit after we've sinned. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that voice. Watch this. That same voice will tell you before you sin not to. If you're familiar with a voice that convicts, you should also be familiar with a voice that prevents. And he is available to you and to me. It's just a matter of learning to listen to him. Now I'll just take a short poll here. How many of you have been about to say something really mean, inappropriate, over the top, and as a born-again, spirit-filled believer, you heard the Holy Ghost say, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And what did you do? <laughs> and how did you feel about it, knowing how you felt afterwards, knowing that he warned you before he even opened your big, bad mouth? We get to the point in our sanctification where we recognize the voice of conviction. It's the same voice of prevention. I just need to listen to him. If he knows, amen. And he does know because God is all-knowing. Yes. If we'll just tune ourselves into this. Sometimes, though, we go so far over in the flesh and into the emotional realm that, you know, we kind of we drown out that voice of the moment of, of the war that's going on. The temptation is there. But if we'll stay in peace, amen. Don't let your emotions rule you. Don't let unscriptural thinking rule you. But in that moment, just stay at peace. You'll hear the Holy Ghost tell you, amen, what to do and what not to do. Say with me, the Holy Spirit sanctifies by speaking before the fact, not just after the fact. Now, I'm not knocking conviction because you and I haven't arrived yet. I say that, number one, because in His conviction is sanctification. The force of those arrows hitting us. That's why David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He was saying, don't take your convicting presence from me. I can't make it if you don't keep shooting those arrows at me. How sad is it when somebody is no, no longer, they no longer feel the pain of those arrows. Now that pain and conviction tells you, no, I want to get it right next time. And there's power there to sanctify you, but it's not just after the fact, it's before the fact of the actual sin or the compromise. Does that make sense? Yes. The other good thing about the, you know, the Spirit of God's involvement in this is uh, you, know, you and I can learn to be actually led by the Spirit of God. So we know there's, there's the voice of conviction and prevention. There's the voice of direction where you know He never leads you into sin. That's right. Ever. No intelligent Christian ever said, well, the Holy Spirit led me into that. No. no. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad for the sanctifying power and force of the Holy Ghost? Yeah. I didn't spend a lot of time in this. But one of the ways you could increase your sensitivity to the voice, not just of conviction, but of prevention, is praying the Holy Ghost like you never have before. Amen. Every born-again, spirit-filled believer needs to be praying in tongues more than they ever have in their entire lives. I don't care what your background is, what your experience is. Amen. In this room, we've got tongue talking Catholics and Lutherans and Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians, you name it. We've got it. Mm -hmm. The important thing is, these things don't work if you don't use them. Right. You realize that. The sensitivity will go up and you'll get better and better at this, where it's not just, oh, blew it, here's a conviction, but no, here comes the prevention. Just listen to me. Just as, as it feels horrible to bow to that temptation and have to go through the, the, the pain of conviction. It feels great when you've heard the Holy Ghost and you didn't take that step. Because yes. then you get to step back and see what might have happened. 
had you kept going down that path. Uh, he'll warn us, he'll speak to us, he'll direct us, but he is not going to just scream at you. Amen. You make up your mind you're going to go down the path of sin or even some, some area that's, that's actually compromising God's best uh, for your life. Just realize that uh, if you want it bad enough, he'll let you do it. He'll be talking to you. But if you want to with your will, he'll let you. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, let's stay on his path. Let's stay in his will. Everybody say, thank God for the Father and the blood and the Word and the Holy Ghost. I mean, you know, God means business. He's given us all those supernatural forces so that we would be sanctified. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk to you about the sanctifying uh, nature and force of the church. What is the church's role in your sanctification? We're going to wrap this up Sunday morning talking about the believer's role in sanctification. Because too often we say, okay, well, I've got all these things. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. No, it takes your active involvement. Amen. And then Sunday we're going to cap off that service with baptizing a bunch of people. Amen. Praise the Lord. But tonight I'm going to baptize you with the Word. <laughs> Go with me back over to Hebrews 10. And we talked about this in terms of our reconnection to the church last week. But I want you to see this in the context of, of sanctification. Everybody shout, the church. the church. Say it again, say the church. the church. I want you to know the church is not the problem. Well, I, I've been hurt. Well, what do you want, a Wilkie button? Who hasn't been? I said this, I'll say it again. I was listening to a cowboy preacher. Everybody say, God bless the cowboy churches. Um, and he was saying, he went through this terrible time where some some wolves came into the body and really tore some people up and got involved in leadership and it got really, really critical. And to the point it was just really a, a bad situation. And after it was all said and done, he's, he's crying out to God and say, why did you let those people crucify me? And he heard the Holy Ghost say, don't you ever say that you were crucified. You have no idea what it's like to be crucified. And what you've gone through and what you may go through never will compare to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've raised a generation, not just snowflakes in the world, but snowflakes in the church. You ought to be able to be full throttled, punched in the gut and in the face and not be moved by it. And I'm sorry, and I'm not going to take your mail, your email, if you respond to this. You can send him to Jim Kruger. He loves my emails. Send him over there. <laughs> but there's far too much emphasis on trauma and not enough emphasis on repentance. Amen. That's right. That's right. This whole business will become nothing but a shift from what does the word say to what a human counselor says. What you need is the touch of God on your life. Yes. Amen. Today, we couldn't hold a candle to what the early church went through. They can't take it. Somebody doesn't smile at you, you need therapy. They don't shake your hand, dear God, they're, they're against you. They don't like you. 
What you need is sanctification. Yes. You need to be purified in your mind, your will, your emotions, your body. You need everything coming together in your life and stand up and start being what? Bold for the Lord. Amen. We need some men in God and women of God in this nation. We don't need a bunch of snowflakes. You can't take a punch. What did we think was going to happen when we got saved? Really? A rose garden? Just clouds of fluff and everything's perfect? In this world you will have tribulation. But be of what? Good cheer. I have overcome the world. The devil can do his best, but his best isn't good enough. And if that is true, he's well able to not only preserve and protect you, but to bring you over the top no matter what the devil throws at you. But if in the process of you and I being hit and hurt and punched and run over, we're going to the wrong source for our remedy, we're going to be worse after that than we were before. Amen. You need the truth. The truth is what she said. sets you free. Amen. That was all extra. Have you found Hebrews? How many of y'all agree we need to run to the truth? Yes. Raise your hand if you believe we should be running to the truth no matter what we go through. Right. Okay. If you're in Hebrews 12, you're in Hebrews 10, you're in the right place. And um, just a portion here. I think when we start uh, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful. Aren't you glad for that? That's the second time we've heard that tonight. Mm -hmm. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So what should we be doing? More sanctified or less sanctified? More. As the day approaching, should it be dirtier or cleaner? Should we desire to be sanctified as the days go, get closer? Yes. Or lose that desire? No, we should be moving in the right direction. A lot of people are not. It's an individual decision. I want to point out to you that what this scripture indicates is more than just you're not going to church, you should go to church. But there's a reason why you should be in the house of God because you being in the house of God directly affects your sanctification. All these, I have my church with Jesus in the woods or on the lake or I can just watch it online or whatever it is. And I'm all fine with somebody traveling or, or at work or sick or infirm, but that's not what's happened in the American church. People have set up their own idea and there's, they set aside the Word of God and put their own thoughts on the throne. That's a dangerous thing. That's what you were doing when you were lost. Why would you think it's going to work now that you're saved? It's not going to work. You need the house of God because it's a sanctifying force in your life. So we have masses of Christians who stop by every couple of weeks or every couple of months and they think they're doing God a favor. What's happened is even though God loves them and the Father's love is available and the blood is available and the Word is available and the Spirit is available, listen to me, you need every agent of sanctification if you're going to be what God wants you to be. 
And part of that is a sanctifying force of the church itself. And by church, I don't mean church universal. I mean the force of a local church in your life. Amen. That's right. Capital C, I mean, no, God's got that in his hand is just fine. But your relationship affects your sanctification. So there's a mass of people out there in this town across the country who have suspended their relationship, their serious, committed, faithful covenant relationship with the church, and they're not progressing in their sanctification, and they wonder why. Because you gave yourself permission to violate the Word of God. Whenever you do that, look out. Turn to somebody and say, you do not have that right to set aside the Word and do your own thing. You just don't. Believe it or not, good, the bad, and the ugly, amen, all stripes and colors and ages, we actually are involved in sanctifying each other. You have never needed the church more. And you have never needed to be in a position where you can actually respond to that sanctifying force. When it's necessary. Coming to church and being the church. It's not one or the other. These are sanctifying acts. People never have done well and will not do well not plugged into a local church. I don't care who you are, how long you've been saved. Remember, even Jesus entered into the synagogue, amen, on the Sabbath, as was his custom, as was his habit, as was his way of life. And I just chuckle when I think about the Son of God needing to go to church. And the American Christian saying, I don't need to go to church. Let me get this straight. Jesus thought he needed to go to church, but you don't. Can I come up here and kiss your hand? The goal should be sanctification in the church, not vilification. And it takes one another to make this work. <laughs> in Genesis 9, Kelly referred to this, and I did a couple weeks ago as well. Noah's two sons were interested in sanctification of Noah. The one son was interested in vilification of Noah. Amen. It's the sanctifying forces that get us to the next level. Same thing is found in Matthew 18, and we won't go back into this tonight, but Jesus gives us a prescription how to deal with somebody's sins against you. Now, sanctification does not apply to differences of opinion. Well, I like blue carpet. You like red carpet. Well, you like red carpet because you need to be sanctified. That's not what sanctification is. Well, I like Coke, I like Pepsi, and all those Pepsi drinkers need to be sanctified. That is not what sanctification is. Are you here tonight? Um, on the other hand, it has everything to do with when somebody blows it. And Jesus said, if you have offended your brother, you sinned against your brother back in Matthew 5, then you leave your gift at the altar then you go reconcile, and then come bring what? In other words, I just can't pretend that everything is dandy with me when I've sinned against somebody. Can I have a better amen than that? Amen. But let's say that doesn't happen. 
The responsibility then falls on the one who's been sinned against to come to them just between the two of them. Just between the two of them. Let me say that again. Just between the two of them. Not between you, them, and all the other people you told about it. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he doesn't, then you bring two or three witnesses. Not people you told about it. Not your lynch party, but people who actually saw what happened. That have first-hand knowledge of what happened. That's the doctrine. That's the teaching. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If not, what do you do? Take it to the government of the church. In other words, now you take it to a place of authority to adjudicate the thing. And if that person doesn't listen then, who's in that sin? Jesus said, treat him like a tax collector or what? Or a sinner. How did Jesus treat sinners and tax collectors? You still want them restored. Here's my point. Interactions in the church are designed for restoration. Galatians 6.1, you that are spiritual, what? Restore that one who has sinned in a gentle and a spirit of gentleness, lest you what? Also be tempted. The sanctification is all about restoring people, getting them back on track, not vilifying, not blaming them, not souring them. There's a new trend in the church where you tell everybody and their grandmother what happened and get on social media and get all the people you can to agree with you because that's what the counselor said to do. Vent, 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 vent. Every time you vented, you sinned. Right. That's right. And the ways of sin is what? Death. Death. And you wonder why this isn't working. Why is it alienating people? Why is it hurting so many? Because you didn't do what Scripture said to do. Right. What's the point of all this interaction? Restoration. So here's the good news. Sometimes you're going to be the sinner. And sometimes you're going to be the person who is talking to the sinner. And we need to learn to do both of them well. But there's just a little thing in the body of Christ stopping that. It's called pride. And on its heels... This unbelievable tendency for everybody to get offended over everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, get over it. <laughs> Amen. Genesis 9 is a story about restoration. Matthew 18 is a story about restoration. And when it's worked according to Scripture, it actually does bring people back together again. It brings the sinned against and the sinner back together again. If anything other than sanctification is the goal, we should just be quiet. Watch this. This is what you're doing. This is what you need to do. Let's all do it together. This is what you're doing. This is what you need to do. Because your goal is not restoration. Your goal is to be what? Proven right. Having the upper hand. Watch them grovel. Amen. Hey, y'all remember me telling you a story when I was a youth pastor and how the guy that I was serving with got so mad that we were on a canoe trip and uh, the board thought it would be fun to kind of tease him and get him wet and dip him out of his canoe. Well, how many understand he didn't take it that way? 
It wasn't fun. In fact, he got so mad he actually slammed his arm against the canoe and broke it. Amen? This is my first official ministry assignment, and I'm thinking, this is it. We're done. Well, because a bunch of fools wouldn't leave him alone, because he, what, acted out of great, great anger. Look at somebody say, great anger. Great anger. Everybody say, great anger. So, you know, uh, on several occasions, even though that was not, had nothing to do with me whatsoever, amen, I still reached out to him to say, hey, you know, we love you, apologize for anything that, that happened that day, anything we had to do with it, we just love you. And here's the exact words. Oh, no, I'm not going to make this easy on you. And I thought, you're not going to make it easy on me. I'm like, somewhere in that thinking, there is a major wire loose. These are the same nuts that say, I don't have to forgive until they apologize. If God felt that way, you and I would still be in our sin tonight. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to forgive whether they ever apologize or not. And it's just not scriptural otherwise. This idea is we're not going to make it easy for people. We're going to torture them. That's not of the Spirit of Christ. Are you here tonight? Amen. Proverbs 27, 17 says, An iron sharpeneth iron. We're supposed to be sharpening each other. Amen. Amen. We gotta help you out here. Too many Christians afraid to. <laughs> you just don't sharpen somebody with a hug and a handshake. No. That's part of it. Sometimes it's with a strong word. Yeah. Say it. Iron, iron sharpeneth, sharpeneth iron. By the same token, First Corinthians sixteen or fifteen thirty-three. Don't be misled. Bad company. Corrupts. Good character. Amen. I believe that's true. <laughs> Here's what this teaches us. We sanctify each other. Iron sharpeneth iron. Hang around people who are a sanctifying force and not a corrupting force. Pastor, are there corrupting forces at Hope Harbor Church? Because if there are, I'm out of here. I'm telling you that right now. If you think that way, you are the corrupting force. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> you have varying degrees of spirituality and varying degrees of development in terms of their own walk with God and varying degrees of sanctification. Of course, you're going to have people that are corrupting forces. Your job is to hang around, amen, and be cooperative with sanctifying forces. Not people who know it all, but maybe have been through some things and can walk just a little bit ahead of you. People think that pastors are 5,000 miles ahead of the people. They're really not. They're just a few steps ahead of you. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying to you? Yeah. And you want to make sure that, that you are not a stumbling block to other people, that you're not running around, amen, instead of sharpening their, their, their iron. You're, you're walking around causing them to stumble and to compromise. We know what Scripture talks about causing others to stumble. No. In other words, we shouldn't want to desanctify people by our influence. But take them up higher. Yes. Fully aware that those sanctifying forces in terms of people are not perfect yet. 
Can, but can they help you? Yes, if you'll actually take time and listen to what they have to say. Here's the problem in the church. How many of you do believe that you know people in this church and other churches that love you, brothers and sisters that love you? I mean, I mean that's true. You know they love you. Yes. Do you. Do you know that enough to let them speak true to your heart when it's uncomfortable? Yes. Or will you just rear up on them? Here's favorite phrase in the church today. You're judging me. If someone comes to you personally with a concern, they're not judging you. They're sanctifying you. If they're on social media and every Tom, Dick, and Harry knows about it, that's a different matter. But we're at a day today where, where no one can be corrected, no one can be sharpened because the instinct just like that is you're judging me and they say judge not. That didn't come from the word of God, that came from the world trying to justify their wokeism and their perversion. That's what that's all about. In the church you ought to be able to go to somebody that you have a relationship with and say the hard thing. That's the problem is so many people in the body of Christ have nobody who can say things like that to them. And when they do, they end up vilifying them. Let me tell you something today. When somebody calls you out and says something and loved you that's helping you in the long run, they're not abusing you. No, they're not. It's not abuse for you to be corrected. No, it isn't. Could you imagine the Corinthian church and what they felt about Paul? Next time I'll come to you with a whip. The average American Christian couldn't take five minutes of Paul. For all their praise of his doctrine, all their praise of what he wrote and did for God, they couldn't handle five minutes of him. You want to reintroduce the law of circumcision? Paul said, go ahead and emasculate yourselves. Go all the way. Can you imagine a pastor today saying that? I'm not going there because they're abusive. Today, if you speak the truth in love, and you should speak the truth in love, not love without the truth, which is the modern influence, if you really love, then you won't speak the truth. If you, I say if you really love people, you will speak the truth in love. And this should be like, you know, Christianity 101. Remedial. When I was a kid... I got sent to summer school one year. And you know what? You laughing at me over there? <laughs> and you know what they do in summer school? Absolutely nothing. Just play games. But the idea is it'll somehow help you. No. Glorified babysitter is what it is. <laughs> Not at our school. <laughs> Are you here today? Praise the Lord. This should be Common sense to us. If you have a brother who's not married and he's sleeping around in the church, remember what I said last, last week? Let us. Let us. Not go tell the pastor to do it. Let us. We are all involved in sanctification. Say, we're all involved, we're all involved in sanctification. In sanctification. You're going to just have to settle your score. You let somebody misinterpret your motives, whatever they want to. But we got to step up in this area because the church is not being sanctified in the very area that Paul talked about. You should be able to say in love to that brother, what you're doing is not right. I know the world says it's okay. Maybe even family says it's okay. 
But here's what the Word of God says. And I want you to be sanctified. And I'm not judging you. And I've gone to no other person about this. I'm going straight to you. You need to live this life in purity as God has ordained it. That is as rare as can be. You know, a young couple that's not married, shacking up, traveling together, going to events and, and, and spending a night in the same hotel room. You say, they're not doing anything. Do you think I'm stupid? Do I look that stupid? And you know what's going on. You're in their lives. The loving thing, the sanctifying thing to say is, look, Paul said it's better to marry than to burn. Either knock it off or put a ring on it. Amen. That's so judgmental. No, that's where you're wrong. That is sanctifying truth. Not to embarrass and put down and run over people, but to get them. Because if they keep doing what they're doing, they're headed for destruction. What kind of love is that? That's not love at all. In fact, that's, that's, that's spiritual Christian malpractice. That's what that is. You should just sit that couple down and say, well, thank you all know that I love you. This is something I'm prompted of the Holy Ghost to say. I'm part of the church. Therefore, I'm part of the sanctifying force. I'm not all of them. I'm part of it as a, as a church person. I love God. I love His church. I'm a sanctifying force here. And here's what the Word says. And this is what is wrong. It's going to bring destruction to your life. We need Christians to grow some confidence in a titanium backbone. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Oftentimes, pastors don't hear about these things until it's destruction time. How about we start using our sanctification, being a force of sanctification, before people are destroyed? I sit back and say, man, isn't that horrible? Did you say something? No, I didn't say something. I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to be called a bigot or judgmental. We've got to risk being called names to start getting involved again and sanctifying each other. Amen. Same thing can be said when people are unequally yoked. There used to be a standard in the house of God. Oh, we don't want to say anything. We don't want to judge. You know in your heart that A and B are not equally yoked. You know it. And yet you say nothing. And worse yet, you post something on Facebook saying how cute it is. It's not cute. When the devastation comes, it won't be cute. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you tonight? It's very important you understand this. The people that, that are in your life that come to you one-on-one, -on -one, they're not judging you at all. In fact, they're some of the most loving people in the body of Christ that would dare, listen, that would dare risk losing your relationship to tell you the truth. Those are brave people, loving people, kind people. In the body of Christ, we see today that our statistics regarding marriage and divorce are not much different than the world's. Why is that? Why is that? The body of Christ should intervene early in the situation. Well, the world does this. Nobody cares anymore. Listen, God cares. In fact, the Bible says he hates divorce. Say so he hates divorce. In fact, he sees it as an act of violence. He puts something together, and then the devil comes in through the agency of man and destroys it. But what if someone who is close to that couple said the hard thing? 
Amen? What if moms and dads and family members said the hard thing? Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Don't want to be judged. Don't want to be judged. Pastor, don't you know that blood is thicker than water? Wrong. Truth is thicker still. And you should not be defending some family member in their air just because they're blood. I'm going to come over here and preach to these seats over here. Come on, say it. Blood is not thicker than water. Truth is the thickest. And we're not talking about exposing people. We're not going to be a Hamite. Amen. It'll be a force for sanctification. Yes, amen. Say it, a force. Say it again, a force. A force for sanctification. Somebody came to me one time and, uh, and uh, the pastor was still a work in progress. <laughs> Kelly, neither Kelly nor me, we want to put off this idea that we have arrived. Because that's just not true. We are sanctification in motion and process as well. And, uh, and a man of God asked me one time because there was somebody in a, in a town in this region that was actually destroyed a church and the fact of trying to start a new one. And they were related to this person and they said, well, well Pastor, what do you think about that? And sometimes my mom comes out of me. I can't help it. I was raised by her. It just, it just happens. Mom, no filter. Me, I try to put a filter on. But this particular day, what do you think about that? And I said, I think it's a pastor church. And they had the same reaction you did right now. What did you mean by that? It's illegitimate. It's not sanctioned by God. And in the end, it didn't survive. All it did was cause confusion and hurt and pain. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Love enough to actually speak up when it's necessary. In what? In love. Not trying to hurt people, put them down, project you're better than them. But be a sanctifying force. Say, I'm a sanctifying force. force. Amen. Let's tell you what time is it getting to be. Didn't she do a wonderful job Sunday teaching them honor? Praise God. I was telling her that, you know, my famous story of learning honor the hard way was um, I was in the eighth grade. I was a nationally ranked swimmer. I was a perfect student. And every year they give the, the outstanding, you know, graduate of the year award. This is, a, this is an award voted on by the student body. So, you know, your friends and those that know you, uh, they voted. And I, hands down, won that election. But that was only part of it. Then it had to go to the principal to make sure they didn't have something out there that was inappropriate or whatever that would disqualify them. And earlier in that year, Mr. Horst, everybody say Mr. Horst, no nonsense language arts teacher, decided it'd be great for the Honor Society, the Boys Honor Society, to sell these little red basketballs with Lincoln Junior High School on them. And everybody got an allotment. And what I should have said at that moment is, I'm not the salesman. My brother, Hines, he's the salesman. Me, I'm not a salesperson. And they bring a, um, 
like a Kroger bag, an old, you know, brown bag. And they sat there in my locker month after month after month after month. And Mr. Horse eventually said, well, have you sold them yet? Have you sold them yet? And then it was, well, sell them and bring the money. And I just blew them off and blew them off and blew them off and blew them off. And all of a sudden they take this vote and they get a visit from the principal on the playground one day. I mean, you know, on the playground, that's not a good thing. Everybody watching. It's bad enough to get called to his office. He came out to find me. And here's what he said. He said, Mr. Horse tells me you haven't, uh, you haven't taken care of this. He goes, I would encourage you to take care of this. And this is all he said. He said, you have a lot to lose if you don't take care of this. Now, he couldn't come out and say every detail. But I just blew him off like most eighth graders would, not discerning what's going on. And I didn't sell him. And that day, despite the fact that it was supposed to come to me, it went to my best friend instead. And at that moment, I knew exactly what the principal had said and what he meant by that. And that lack of honor, that refusal to be sanctified in that moment, it cost me. You say, well, what did they give you? I was a silly little 10-inch plastic figurine with your name, outstanding student. It would be in the shed with so many other things I won through the years. That's not the point. That, that was the day I learned a lot about honor for authority. If he had told me to stand on my head, I should have done it. Yes. I see what I'm saying to you? And in that spirit, we should what? Submit one to another, the Bible says. Honor one another in these situations. And we'll be a sanctifying force. He was trying to be a sanctifying force for me that day. Do you know that as we grow in sanctification, the blessings just keep rolling in? There's great benefits to this. Amen. Let me tell you seven aspects that you miss when you're not exposed to church regularly. Now, this is the uh, Overcomers Club. Amen. Yep. So. You're taking notes for somebody else, obviously, today. You're going to go help somebody get sanctified tonight. You miss powerful things when you're not in the corporate body. Number one is the corporate anointing. There is anointing together that is not present when we are all by ourselves. I didn't say you weren't anointed. I said there's a different anointing when you're together. And that anointing is the power to change. If you fully understood, how many you want to change some things in your life? How many you know God's talking to you about some things? Just vacating yourself from the house of God, you are hamstringing yourself. The very power to change is present through the corporate anointing. Can't tell you how many times somebody have told me something fell off their life in a service or God delivered them from something in the middle of a service. How is that possible? We didn't pray for them. I didn't preach on that. What happened was that anointing went to working. God on flesh doing what flesh can't do. Amen. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus quoting Isaiah 61, telling us what that anointing will do. So just by being absent, you cut yourself off that corporate anointing. Well, I mean God can figure this out all by ourselves. If that were true, the American church would be thoroughly sanctified. If cutting yourself off of church worked, you would be spick and span. Amen. Completely and totally sanctified. But how do you know in your heart that's not the case? We haven't arrived yet. Amen. Number two, corporate fellowship. 
In that corporate fellowship, it can happen in the main services and small groups, Sunday school, outreaches, ministry events. In that arena is the encouragement to change. What you don't realize is that you need other people. Yes. And they need you. Yes. They need to see you in the house of God. Yes. And don't ever downplay the power of a handshake or a hug. That's right. Now, if you're a, a hug crusher, just knock it off. Hey, Amen. We don't need you to hurt anybody. Oh. Went to that church and I have to have back surgery. That is not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> An appropriate side hug. Amen. A handshake. A smile, a kind word, an authentic, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? We don't realize that just by being together, there is a corporate encouragement that's going on, a corporate fellowship that gives us encouragement. Say it with me, anointing. Fellowship. Number three is corporate worship. You know what happens when you worship God in spirit and in truth? You want more of God. You desire Him. You desire His will. Your spirit is struck with the realities of redemption and you want to be clean. You want to live right. Well, can't I just worship God at home and have that? Listen to me, there is a corporate aspect of worship. And all of a sudden you just, you want to do the right thing. You want to walk out of here and make good choices and you, you want to say the right thing and you, you want to be right with God and you want to you know, sever things from your life that don't belong there. It doesn't just happen in your own time. Should you be worshiping on your own time? Yes. Absolutely. Number four, corporate conviction. You cannot be in a corporate house when the Spirit of God is flowing and be any kind of spiritual you know, life in you and not feel conviction when you need to in a service. That's right. That's right. And God help us when we no longer feel conviction. Amen. Amen. And, and it doesn't always happen when somebody's preaching. Mm-hmm. It can be with somebody is singing. Sure. It can be with somebody's testifying. Mm-hmm. It can be with somebody prays for you. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come into a service and my sister's praying for you. Let me just give you a tip here. If you want her to lay hands on you, you enter at your own risk. Words of knowledge and prophetic utterance is going to come out. So if you're not ready to deal with some things, you should probably just skip the line. (laughs) But in that corporate setting is conviction. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That voice is amplified by the corporate setting. I don't like conviction. I don't either. When it comes to sanctification, it's a good thing if you come to the house of God and you get convicted. Well, I'm not going to that church anymore. All those hypocrites there. You know, that's a funny thing. It never stopped you from going to Walmart with all those hypocrites over there. And you go to work with them every day. You use the same gas stations those hypocrites use. Who's the hypocrite? Now cut yourself off from all hypocrites, then we can talk. The hypocrites are supposed to be here. The struggling are supposed to be here. The church is never meant to be your little aquarium for your exotic fish and Christians. It is and always will be a hospital. 
There comes a day when you're the patient and there comes another day when you're the physician. The problem in the body of Christ is people spend, you know, you know, decades as a patient. When they should be what? Not just attenders and members, but now leaders in these things. Teachers, as the apostle said. Amen. So it's a good thing. God help us if we no longer have people that are here that can be convicted. Turn to somebody and say, you need conviction. I read all about you. You need conviction. Yes, you do. Amen. Time of Arnett said it like this. Somebody said, how come all those cigarette butts are outside our doors every time we have a service? And he said publicly, he said, you don't have much of a church if you don't have cigarette butts outside your door. Amen. <laughs> Y'all remember a movie, Runaway Bride? Anybody watch that? If you're too sanctified for that, then that's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> but he's in a bar trying to come up with an idea to write an article. And uh, somebody says, we're going to write another one of those, you know, you know, booze-laden kind of diatribes. You like to write about women. He said, don't knock drunk people in bars. At least they're not driving. Don't knock struggling Christians in church. They're there being sanctified. Well, I know for a fact they're this and they're that. Doesn't make any difference. Let me say it to you another way. If our attitudes push people away from the church that are having problems, they'll never be fully sanctified. They will never get fully sanctified. They will never get there without the church. And God's like, well, why don't you come anymore to be sanctified? Why not be involved in the church and the corporate thing going on? Well, because nobody really wants to be there. I'm not good enough. No, you're good enough. That's right. Amen? Amen. You're a work in progress. That's right. Say, I'm being sanctified by being in church. And sometimes that means conviction. Woo-hoo! Now watch this. That same Holy Ghost that will talk to you about what you did wrong in the service will talk to you about a temptation coming around the bend. Same Holy Ghost. Same corporate setting. And how many know if he talks to you in a corporate setting, you better listen to him. Amen. Turn to somebody and say the Holy Ghost is a sin specialist. Next is corporate prayer. There's power when you pray by yourself. There's power in corporate prayer meetings all by themselves. And there's power in corporate prayer as the body comes together. And this is hardly understood in the modern church because if it's not done a certain way, you don't think it's being done right or whatever, can't have any power. But let's just say you were here Sunday morning. Say I was here. And uh, Michael Snyder's daddy is battling something physically. And the word was, was given to me, and I felt impressed with the Holy Ghost to, to pray for him. And I asked y'all to do what? Ask for men to come around. And what's going on here now, all of a sudden I've got my faith, but I have the entire congregation pointed at one thing at the same time. Don't ever underestimate corporate prayer during a church service. Miracles can take place. 
astounding things can happen because it's not just one. We're in a spirit of unity and love and worship and wham, we're hitting that thing with agreement. You can't get that by yourself. You can't get that watching online. And if you tried it, you know it's not the same thing. It will never be the same thing. You say, why? Because God has not anointed that to be a replacement. It's a tool of technology. It still says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, assembling of yourselves together, not by a Zoom call. As some are in the, what? Habit. The habit should be to be there, but they form the habit of not being there. Say it with me. Corporate anointing. Corporate fellowship. Corporate worship. Corporate conviction. Corporate prayer. Next, corporate encouragement. We never need each other more. Kind word and encouraging word. You can do this. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. A hand on the back. Amen. An encouragement. A prayer. A lot of the ministry that takes place in spiritual churches not take place during sermon time. It takes before, and during, and after, and throughout the week when somebody feels impressed. They have an urge of the Holy Ghost to reach out to somebody. And they say, you know what? I needed somebody to talk to. I need somebody to reach out to me. And there you were to do that very thing. That's one of the reasons why it's explicit. Let us do what? Encourage one another. Spur one another on to love and good works. Encourage one another, the apostle said. And he didn't say let the staff do it. He said let who? Let us do it. Amen. And last is corporate accountability. If ever there was a Cinderella in the church, this is it. Where we hold one another accountable. But there's so much resistance and fear of being labeled judgmental or harsh or whatever that we don't do it. Now, this doesn't mean you get your little bag and a whistle, you know, badge and whistle, and go around arresting everybody in the church. This is born out of fellowship, it's born out of relationship. Amen. But how many can raise your hand and say, you know, from time to time, I need some accountability? Raise it up high. Say, yeah. How many are willing to receive it? Yeah, in a service like this, we'll say, oh, yes, amen, praise the Lord. And then when somebody does it, yeah. <laughs> needs to be some follow through on our commitment for accountability. Real Christians don't want us to fail or make fun of us or expose us. They want us to grow. They want us to go to the next level. Now, the Holy Ghost had in mind tonight to, to encourage us by tongues and interpretation that His glory is to manifest in a way it's never manifested before. The problem with that is whenever there is dirtiness where it manifests, it's not man exposing the glory of God will, and it doesn't always end well. Acts chapter 5, can I tell you this? The days of Ananias and Sapphira are not over. We want to clean up our act. And all they did was lie to the Holy Ghost. Over some money, over some land. Amen. I think about, you know, in the Old Testament when David was bringing the ark back. Did they listen to God's instructions? No, threw it on a manure cart. 
oxen stumbled. Man reaches out his hand to stabilize the ark. Sounds like a good thing. Except when filth touches the glory, there's an automatic jolt. Do you remember what happens if you stick a fork in an electrical socket? West Kentucky does not need, oh, we got another one. Send a signal. Zap them right now. Zap them. They stuck something in the, zap them. There's no consciousness there. When the glory of God is present and there's dirtiness there of mind or emotions or of body, are you hearing what I'm saying to you tonight? It's just, it's not all, well, praise the Lord for all the miracles and the signs and the wonders. There, there is a backhand to the anointing. That shouldn't cause anybody to be in fear who's striving for sanctification. But you just can't take your nasty attitude, your nasty mouth, your filthy body, and your filthy actions and reach out and touch the Holy of Holies. And there not be some kind of consequence to it. Amen. So we're being transformed by sanctification. Say it with me. Thank God for the Father, for the blood, for the Word, for the Spirit, and for the church. Turn to somebody and smile and say, I need you. In the American church, all we do is just sit next to one another. Sometimes we need to say the tough things. That's not funny. <laughs> just, just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Amen. And it doesn't mean go out there and try to dog everybody. Yeah. Stay in step with the Spirit of God. A moment he's impressing your heart to, to do something in love, to help sanctify somebody, don't disobey him. You say, well, he'll get somebody else. You might be the 50th person he's tried to get. Don't assume that everybody's like you. He's going to listen. But confess it right now. I am listening. Say, I am listening. I'm telling you that when you're in the house of God, it's actually a sanctifying force. It's important to be here. Amen. Glory to God. Now, everybody watching on the internet is falling on their face, crying out to God for mercy. I'm afraid to come to church. You don't need to be afraid to come to church. No. You won't be afraid. Be afraid not to come to church. Let that let the fear of God overtake every other fear, and you'll be in a good place in your life. Amen. Come on, give him a big hand clap and thank him, God. Come on, give him a shout. We bless you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Hey, unless you have a mindset tonight, I'm not going to be sanctified. Bless God. I don't care how many times he preaches it, I'm not going to be sanctified. Unless you're that person, you should be happy about sanctification. Amen. Because what I hear God saying is get ready. The sanctified are going to experience the glory of God like it ever had before. That's a good word for you. That's a positive thing. You're just going to have to let go of some stuff. Amen. Brother Osteen used to say, hang loose and travel light. Got too much junk in your bag. Amen. Big bricks of offense and slander and gossip and lying and tailbearing and things that you're doing with your body and things you're thinking about. It's time to empty that sack out. And just travel on. Amen.
Praise God. Will you hear us bow for just a moment? Having said that uh, you want to be a sanctifying force in church and you're willing to be sanctified in church, just lift your hand up high. Amen. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the sincerity of hearts of your people. We thank you, Lord, as they gather together, they're entitled to all the effects that the church has on people and their sanctification. We thank you, Lord, that we have a part to play in what you're doing. It's plain from Scripture that we are to exhort, encourage, challenge, love, help encourage others, Lord, along the way. And we thank you today in Jesus' name. That revelation has exploded on the inside of us. We'll never see church attendance the same way ever in Jesus' name. Confess that I will never see church attendance the same way ever in Jesus' name. Say it, I will never see church attendance the same way. Amen.